Hello, welcome to Rational Investing. My name is Cameron Stewart, CFA. Thank you for watching on YouTube and thank you for listening on the podcast. Greatly appreciate it. This channel is dedicated to rational investing. We buy free cash flow and we pay a reasonable price for that cash flow in the hopes of beating the stock market over the next decade. Nobody knows what the future holds, but we try to be conservative with our assumptions and hopefully that gives us a little protection to beat the stock market. Now, NVIDIA is down 40% from its peak and this channel has been very critical of the high, high premium uh, and, and strong growth numbers required to make NVIDIA uh, pan out. We have been cautious and, 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 and warned investors not to put money in the stock and we've been rewarded. We nailed it. The stock is down 40%. Uh, growth forecasts have been adjusted. Let's take a look at this stock now and figure out how much cash money does it make and is it well priced? And if we buy it today and held it for a decade, could we beat the market? Ready? Let's get to work. Okay, what we're gonna do is we're gonna do a couple things with NVIDIA. One, we wanna review their latest quarterly results and figure out where the decline in revenue has happened and if we think it's gonna revert back to its normal trajectory or it's gonna be a permanently reduced sales volume. Number two, I wanna look historically to figure out what have they been doing in the past uh, 2019, what were they telling investors? What was the growth rate of industries? And number three, we want to build a, cons a conservative forecast for this stock and understand what the price multiple is for the stock, if it's expensive or not. All right, the first thing we're going to do is we're going to review the five key attributes that we use in this channel to evaluate all stocks. That's not a, a, um, a be all and end all list. There's lots of things you need to consider before making an investment. Consult your investment advisor. This channel is not investment advice, merely entertainment. My kind of vlog of how I, as a CFO and value investor, approach looking at companies. But we're going to review these five key factors as a launching point for where you want to start digging into stocks. Number one, top line revenue growth. We want to see 10 years of top line revenue growth. Number two, strong earnings. We want to see earnings growth for the last decade. Number three, strong free cash flow. We want cash flow to be strong. That's the name of the game. Number four, low debt. We're not buying stocks that are over leveraged. You better have three times debt to EBITDA or less to be considered. And number five, the most important, you want a well-priced stock. I once worked for a, uh, a private equity company with the managing director came out. There was a sea of analysts out there. He and I were chatting. He says, you know, Cameron, I can have all kinds of analysts build all kinds of forecasts for me. And ultimately, forecasts are mostly wrong. Uh, what The best thing I could have is a stock that trades cheaply. Because if I can buy a stock cheap enough, I can most likely make money on it. No matter what forecast you put in front of me, you're most likely going to be wrong. Kind of a 50-50 bet. So the name of the game is never pay too much for stock. That's why number five, being well-priced, is probably the most critical. And it's a very difficult one to hit even on this channel. We rarely find companies that meet all five. Uh, we are more recently in this down market finding those companies. If you re rewind in our channel two years ago, uh, a lot of stocks were fully valued. I was showing you that in our IRRs. I was getting a lot of single digit names, just very single digit IRR numbers. It was very, very difficult to find a stock that could beat the market without a, a huge growth curve assumption. And that is an indication of an overpriced stock market. Now, there are lots of stocks with a one, two, three, four percent annual growth is expected to beat the stock market. Check out my website, cashflowinvestingpro.com for more of that. Join the Cashflow Club for, for those stock tips. But let's take a look at NVIDIA. We're gonna evaluate on the five key factors and we're gonna look at um, nine years of historical financials and figure out how much cash money this stock makes. Ready? 
All right, here we go. All right, the first thing we're gonna do is we're gonna pull up their Q3 2023 financial statements. Uh, their fiscal year ends in January, so we're filming this in Jan now. In another month or two, we'll get their full year results, but we can approximate what it's going to be by taking a look at these numbers here. They're giving you quarterly financial results. This is revenue by quarter for the company. So $7.1 billion, $7.6 billion, $8.2 billion, and then it declines $6.7 billion to $5.9 billion of top line revenue. And if we, we dive into the detail here, we can figure out what's going on. Data center uh, is a big piece of their revenue, about 40% of total revenue, um, has been growing from 3 billion in, a one, in a one quarter to 3.2, and then it kind of plateaus, 3.8, 3.8, 3.8. So that business is kind of stabilizing, I think, as, as businesses overall heighten their budgets. Um, because of the economic slowdown. If we go to gaming, this is where you're going to see the huge earnings hit or the huge revenue hit for the business. Re gaming was $3.2 billion. So basically, even, even with data center, you had data center and you had uh, gaming being even on a quarterly revenue basis for this company. Uh, both of them at about 40% uh, or so of revenue. Gaming goes from 3.2, 3.4, 3.6, down to $2 billion, that's more than 50% haircut in one quarter, down again by 50% to $1.5 billion. So in, in six months, their quarterly revenue went from $3.6 billion to $1.5 billion on a quarterly basis. And what that's done is if you take this and annualize and say, hey, we're going to stay at these levels going forward, that, that lowers materially the size of the gaming business for NVIDIA as a whole. It goes from roughly 40% of revenue in line with uh, data centers down to about 14 or 20% of revenue, uh, which is much, much lower, uh, and, and it really impacts their ability to grow. And if, if you read some of, the, um, some of the comments here in the quarter, the decline reflects lower sell-in to par partners to help align channel inventory levels with current demand expectations. That's fancy language for basically people aren't buying it, we're cutting back. That, that's essentially what they're saying. Uh, and I think what's going on is the cryptocurrency pull down is limiting the demand for laptops and CPUs that they need that, that this cutting edge technology was really selling into that demand. And as consumers were making a lot of money, as money was cheap, people were upgrading infrastructure. But now that money's tightened, crypto's down, people are kind of hunkering home a bit more. You don't need the latest and greatest, the absolute cream of the crop processor uh, or video cards. You can kind of scale back, and that's what I think people are doing. The next level is uh, the Vision Systems. Vision Systems was basically 600 million, not, not billions, by the way. So the other two were, were much, much bigger. They were We were talking $3.8 billion and a quarter and $3.6 billion a quarter. Now the Vision System is 600 million, much, much smaller, drops to 200 million and the automotive section which is growing but it's growing it's only 250 million dollars that's not that much in the grand scheme of things for this business so that overall shows you uh the business for nvidia their outlook was saying for the next quarter they're roughly six billion dollars of top line revenue for the quarter ending q4 outlook they'll probably get very close to this 
uh, and you're going to see margins for this business Q4 come down as they had still a lot of sales staff, still a lot of overhead, but revenues come down. We would expect margins, EBITDA margins, to tighten up in Q4 as the CFO starts cutting people, cutting back to get margins back up on this new normal, which is lower revenue. All right, before we move to review the financials in a historical basis, I wanted to pull out one slide from an old uh, release from NVIDIA. This is the 2019 Investor Day presentation. Back in 2019, they were talking about the gaming revenue as being a huge growth driver for the business. And they were right. The last many years from 2019 to 2021, it was a major, major driver for the business, even historically. This goes back to 2013 when they kind of just getting going with about a billion dollars in annual revenue for this industry in gaming, that billion in 2013 grew to 4 billion, this is annual numbers, in 2014, it grew to 6 billion in 15, 8 billion, 10 billion, and $12 billion in 2018. That would continue to continue to grow, and they were correct about that business. Um, the interesting thing now is people are tightening back. What is the, what is the normal level of demand for their type of processor? Uh, what does that look like? I think that's a huge guess and nobody really understands uh, where that number is going to be. We're going to take a wild guess at it. I'll show you how we do that here in a second and figure out where we think this business can go. But ultimately, it's going to come down to how much, uh, what multiple are we paying for this earnings? And you want to try to protect yourself by not paying too much. We're seeing that over and over and over again in this market where people had very, very high growth expectations. Tesla is one of those stocks where just because you're growing, but maybe growing slower than the market would like, the stock is going down because people are unwilling to pay 60 times earnings for, for a stock that's growing, say, 5, 10, 15%, and not 20, 30, 40, 50% like they expected in the market. Hey, sorry to interrupt. If you like the content, please subscribe. I greatly appreciate it. Also, if you want more stock tips, check my website out, cashflowinvestingpro.com, where I produce one-pagers like this one, summarizing 10 years of financial information for America Express. I give you a forecast of what I think it's going to do, and currently, I think it's yield 23% IRR for the next decade. An amazing stock pick. There's lots more. Check out the link below for a free one-pager at cashflowinvestingpro.com. Okay, let's review the nine years of historical financial inf information for NVIDIA. These numbers are as of January 31 for their fiscal year, and I'm pulling them directly from their 10Ks, the annual reports, which you, as an investor of an equity security, should be reading for every single company you own every single year. It doesn't take you very long. There's a lot of disclosure and a lot of re repetitive information in that, but you must read the 10K, that for every stock that you own. That's going to limit the number of stocks that you can buy because you physically can't get through and process all that material. And then two, it's gonna, by limiting the number of stocks you could buy, it's gonna focus you into the ones you are most confident about and hopefully a little bit more conservative to protect your protect your money. Let's, let's go through and take a look at NVIDIA's revenue here. So 2014, uh, year end January 31, $4.1 billion, and that's gone up to 4.6 in 2015, 5, 6.9, 7, uh, 9.7, 11.7 in 2019, $11.7 billion. It dipped for the, the COVID to uh, 10.9, almost 11. Back up in 2021 at $16.7 billion, and a new high last year, 26.9 almost $27 billion of revenue 
in 2022. That is an annual growth rate, annualized uh, average growth rate over that period of time of 26% top line revenue growth every single year during the last nine years. Fantastic. That's what we want to see. That checks our box. We want to see a business that can able that is able to grow revenue. Perfect. Now let's go through your earnings. EBITDA, earnings before interest, tax, depreciation, and amortization. It is a proxy for a normalized, I'll put that in air quotes, normalized operating income for the core business itself. Some of the large companies we deal with have a number of issues that we want to exclude from the earnings. Berkshire Hathaway is a very good example. Berkshire Hathaway owns a lot of equities in its business and the change in equity price year to year flows through to their income statement. You want to remove that because that is mudding up the waters of what the underlying business is doing as the stock market oscillates up and down, that change is pushed into the income statement and affects their earnings. EBITDA removes that and we want to figure out what does the core business generate on, on, a, um, on an annual basis. So 2014, uh, NVIDIA made $735 million uh, on $4.1 billion of, of revenue. And their EBITDA has grown from $735 million to 979 million, to a billion, 2.1, 3.4. Four, it dipped for COVID, from, went down from 4 billion to 3.2, but back up to 5.8 and 11.2 all-time high EBITDA for this business. Number one, it's positive every single year. Number two, it's growing every single year. Fantastic. Uh, that's a 41% annualized growth rate over this period of time. Definitely checks the box for us that EBITDA is growing. It's positive. I love the fact that it's, it's positive every single year. Great consistency. You will also note here that the growth rate of EBITDA is above that of revenue. 26% for revenue. 41% annualized growth rate for EBITDA. What does this mean? That means margins are expanding. And if I do the little math exercise for you, and we take a look at the EBITDA margin for the business over time, it's gone from 18% up to a high of 42% EBITDA last fiscal year. That is an astounding change. By Let's just, just take a minute to appreciate how big of change this truly is. That has moved 24 points. That's 200, uh, it's 2,400 basis points. It's an amazing move and I think actually a little unsustainable. If I were to think of a business like this that is doing the manufacturing to have a margin of 42% having come up from 18, I think that is a bit euphoric. Uh, it, it's too high and I would expect that to come down in time as labor pressures, pressure, uh, wage pressures, pressure earnings, uh, supply chain issues like they continue to experience that should come down. And that's something that we're going to adjust. We're going to adjust margins back down to a more conservative level as we go forward. But I digress. Revenue and EBITDA, check the box. Let's take a look at enterprise value. <clears throat> now, what is enterprise value? This is probably the biggest single issue new investors need to wrap their mind around. What trades in the stock market is not the value of the business. No, 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 no. What changes in the stock market is only the equity portion of the value of a business. What do I mean? Let's think of your house. If you buy a house, let's say you bought a house for a million bucks, you go to the bank because you don't have a million dollars cash, you say, hey, I want a mortgage. The bank's like, okay, I'll, I'll lend you $800,000. 
you put down 200 grand, you buy a house. The enterprise value is $1 million, which is the house's worth. But what you actually put down on the cash, 200 grand, that's your equity. And that's what trades in the stock market. <clears throat> so as the market price goes up and down, up and down, it's only the $200,000. It is not the $1 million of the value of the actual house. That's the big difference between the stock market and say the real estate market where they generally display the enterprise value of the, of, of, the, uh, of the house. They only display the equity value of the stock market. And so you as an investor who judge stocks cheaply or expensive based on the dollar value of the per share are completely ignoring how much debt and leverage a business has on it. McDonald's is a great example of an over leveraged company uh, that continuously borrows money to pay back stock, boosting their earnings per share, while earnings themselves is flat. Coca-Cola, by the way, is doing the same thing. They just don't have the leverage. All right, let's, so, so what we need to do here is we want to calculate how much, what the enterprise value of the business is. And the way we do that is we take equity, the stock market, plus debt, minus excess cash. So let's start with debt. Debt, short-term, long-term liabilities. You want bank debt, you want senior secured, junior, but bank debt and you want capitalized leases. If the business has a pension, you want the pension plan or the, the pension liability. $1.3, $1.4 billion of short-term and long-term debt in 2014 when we start this exercise. That has grown to $11.6 billion last year in 2022. <clears throat> really only spiked during COVID. So they, they had uh, $2 billion of debt, almost flat to the 1.4 they had in 2014. But leading into COVID, they went into COVID with one with $2 billion of debt. Coming out of COVID, now this last year, they have $11.6 billion. So they've borrowed almost $10 billion or $9 billion of debt during that period of time. Well, what has happened to earnings? Earnings has also gone up tremendously. They had $3 billion of earnings going into COVID. Coming out of COVID, they have $11 billion of earnings. So they have lots of earnings to cover the debt. So that seems reasonable to me, but we'll check it in a bit. The next thing I want to see is cash, excess cash. Now, what do I mean by excess cash? This is the next thing that mostly, that confuses a lot of people. This is not, this is not total cash in the balance sheet because all businesses need a bit of cash to continue to run. As an example, the best example is payroll. Employees work every single day. And every day they are earned a salary or, or an hourly rate, a paycheck. But you don't pay them every single day. You pay them every two weeks, generally. Well, so during that period of time, when you're taking in revenue, because you get revenue every day in some businesses, but you don't pay your employees every day, you pay them every two weeks, that's revenue coming in the door that you haven't paid out in labor that derived the revenue. So you need some cash to cover that. That's your float. That's your working capital. <clears throat> so you can't take all the cash out of the business. I like to use the uh, market securities line on the balance sheet. I figure if a business is carving out cash to such a degree where it's putting it as its own line below cash line on the balance sheet, I'll pull that as excess cash, meaning it's cash that could be dividended out before you sell the business and it's not, um, it's not included in the enterprise value. And what I like to see here is going into Going into the pandemic, <clears throat> they had $10 billion of excess cash. In the, uh, coming out of the pandemic now, they have $19 billion. So $9 billion of increased excess cash, <clears throat> along with a $9 billion lift in debt, to me, 
is wonderful. That means they borrowed money as as a as a prudent company to ensure that you don't know what's going to happen in the pandemic. So you borrow money to give yourself enough staying power to weather the storm. And because that money is still here, the nine, $9 billion, that means they didn't spend a dime of it. So their operations were able to withstand the shock of the pandemic, still generate cash flow, pay their employees, pay their debts, do all the things. And they did not have to touch the reserve that they sucked up at the start of the pandemic. I like to see that. That's a good little check that the business is generating cash flow if they're able to borrow the money and it's still in the balance sheet. <clears throat> okay, market cap. Market cap is shares outstanding times average price for the fiscal year. I use January because that's their Jan fiscal year end. And I get $9.3 billion of market cap has absolutely ballooned to $620 billion, billion dollars of market cap last fiscal year. If you rode that rock, congratulations. That's an absolute, absolute home run. Um, you know, $620 billion of enterprise value in a company that generates $11 billion of earnings is a very high price. How price, how high of price indeed? Well, it's 54 times enterprise value to EBITDA. This little metric here for us is the well-priced. There's one gauge that we use to figure out well-priced. What does it mean? It basically says, here's the entire value of the business. EBITDA is how much earnings on an annual basis it, it, uh, the company generates. And by dividing the two, you're simply saying, how many years of the current earnings level do I need to have before the business generates enough money to buy itself? That's it. And so what this is saying is like back in the day, in 2014, this business only needed 10 years of earnings to pay for itself. A very, very cheap company. In fact, earnings didn't stay at $730 million, it grew really quickly, quickly. And this growth meant that you really paid a whole lot less for that business. I mean, great buy. But as the story grew and more investors piled in, it drove demand up. And that demand drove the premium people are willing to pay for that stock from what was, what was at that time 10 years of earnings on a, on a multiple basis to 55 years of earnings. I mean, at some points, like, how long do you want to wait to get your money back? What this is saying is it's saying that you're expecting the business to grow tremendously in order to make this, this earnings as relative to your lifetime. And that's where we get into the, into the art versus the science of investing. It's how much to pay for a company with reasonable growth expectations. And we're going to get into this in a second. It's one of, the, one of the things I was critical. If you check the last video that we did where we nailed the reduction coming in the price, it's we were calling out these multiples and we're saying that the growth premium that they're tied to is, is simply too high. The next thing I want to cover is just the net debt because they have uh, more excess cash than they have debt. You net these two and they're unlevered. They have zero net debt on the business, which is great. That's one of the boxes that we want to check is low debt. Low debt is checked because it's zero. Let's take a look at free cash flow. Okay, free cash flow. I've adjusted here the cash flow from operations. What is cash flow from operations? It's the pure cash money that they make from operations. It takes net income, which is the income statement. We all know the income statement has non-cash charges in it all throughout the place. And it converts that net income into cash money from running the business for the 12 months ending for the fiscal year. And, and that last year in 2014, they made $835 million of pure cash money 
on the $735 billion EBITDA. Now I've adjusted this for share-based comp, I've subtracted the share-based comp, even though share-based comp is a non-cash item and is added back to the cash flow, so these numbers would be higher. Um, because so many companies use share uh, employees stock comp as a way of paying people but not having to report it, uh, I expense it to look at kind of an adjusted number for me that gives me a little bit of cushion. So $835 million of, of cash of Jack that they made in 2014. And that has grown to 906, 1.1 billion, 1.6 billion, 3.5 billion, 3.7 billion, 4.7 billion, 5.8 and 9.1 billion dollars of Jack that they made last year fantastic. And it's interesting that this number continued to grow through the pandemic. That's an average annual growth rate of 35%. Good job. Now, what I want to note here is the 35% growth rate, which is a strong growth rate in free cash flow, is very close to the 41%. I'll say very close because it's a, it's a broad category. But it's very close to the 41% annualized growth rate of EBITDA that we experienced over this nine-year period of time. And that means the accounting team is doing a good job expensing costs that come in the door. They're not... If you see a company where earnings are growing like crazy, but free cash flow is going down, someone's monkeying with the books. It's very, very hard to um, keep those two out of line over the long period of time. You might have one year here or there, that's fine. But on trend, over time, it's very difficult to have earnings go up and cash flow not follow. Uh, and it's a nice check to make sure you're getting the cash money that you're telling people in the income statement you're actually getting. CapEx is very low for this business. They have not put a tremendous amount of CapEx back in relative to the free cash flow that they make. This ratio of free cash flow to, adjust, uh, for, uh, to CapEx is nice, nice and low. It's basically 10%. You look at last fiscal year, they made $901 billion, excuse me, $9.1 billion of free cash flow. They put $976 million back into the business, leaving almost... $8.1 billion of jack left over that's piled up for them to do something with. The next thing they need to do is pay debt. Well, they have no debt, uh, relative speaking. So that money, that debt, that, that free cash flow is able to flow through to you and I, the equity owners. That's why we buy stock. We buy stock for this number, this specific number. So last fiscal year, I'm going to zero out this debt payment here just for a second so we can kind of a, a true number putting debt aside. They made $8.1 billion of free cash flow for the enterprise. Now, they had shares of 2.5 uh, 2 billion shares outstanding, and that number has grown uh, uh, from 2.38 billion in 2014. That's an average annual growth rate of 1%. Uh, this troubles me. A company that makes uh, so much in earnings, generates so much of free cash flow, has excess cash on the bank, should be buying back stock. There is no reason for them not to be buying back stock. The fact that they're printing stock, to me, means that they're giving away the equity from a wonderful business. They should be buying it back and rewarding the shareholders. I would like to see them do that. But if I take the $8.1 billion of free cash flow that they generated last fiscal year and I divide it by the number of shares outstanding, I get $3.00. And 21 cents. That is the per share free cash flow that this business generates. And we will look into the stock market to figure out what that stock price is. We can compare the two and come up with a yield. It's a free cash flow yield. Many people look at a dividend yield and they buy stocks because of the dividend, but they're missing out on the true yield, which is the free cash flow.
Remember, dividends are paid from this number. So are share buybacks, so are acquisitions. You wanna use this number when you're valuing stocks. And what that means is you've got a yield here of 1.3%, which is very, very low. Last, last year, the stock was $245 a share. If I divide the $3.21 of free cash flow by the share price of $244, I get 1.3%. That is very, very low. On this channel, in the podcast, what we're trying to find, we want businesses that generate a lot of free cash flow relative to the price. I want to see something that's 6, 8, 10, 15% free cash flow. Now that is a business I can get on board with. You show me a stock that's generating 10% free cash flow, is growing revenue, growing EBITDA, has low debt, uh, and 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 uh, and has uh, is low debt and has strong free cash flow and is yielding 10% free cash. That is a well-priced stock, and I bet you that stock is going to outperform the stock market in 10 years. It just is. It's throwing off so much free cash flow, even with zero growth, you're making 10% on your money. Well, the stock market makes 10% any year, any given year, uh, excuse me, during a 10-year period of time, about 10% is the average return. So if the stock that you buy is yielding a free cash flow of 10%, that means with zero growth, you're even with the market. You get any bit of growth in the stock, you're beating the market. That's why free cash flow to me, is the most important thing you're buying in the stock market. And it's why I think, that's why I do this channel, is I try to educate people who are pulled into the CNBC world, watching the talking head, watching Jim Craner talk about his nonsense. He has no idea, he's just making it up every day. You wanna buy free cash flow, you wanna buy high yielding free cash flow athletes, and you wanna hold them for 10, 20, 30 years and don't look at them, and just let them continue doing them th their thing with solid management teams, that's the way you get rich. You own a focused portfolio of stocks for a long, 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 long time. And that compounds over the years where you pay no no taxes for because you didn't sell, you didn't roll your portfolio. You're not hopping from here to there. You just let it ride. Most of the uh, back and forth that you see washes away if you start zooming out 5, 10, 20 years. What happens this quarter or next quarter no longer matters. And most of the stock market people are guessing what's going to happen this quarter or next quarter. If you zoom out, suddenly it becomes a little bit easier to figure out what you should buy, be buying. All right, let's take a look at the last quarter. I want to do a couple things, and we're going to forecast this business. Now, before we dive into that, I do want to remind you, I do teach a course. You can check out that course, cashflowinvestingpro.com, where I give you this Excel sheet, and I teach you how to do this. All right, the next step we need to do is we need to figure out where are they going to end the fiscal year of 2023 for them ending January 2023. So behind me, I took the data I showed you earlier of the, um, of the revenue per sector for the company and displayed it behind me. Uh, we're going to walk through this and I'll show you the change and how big the change is in the gaming business. And then we have to figure out what do we want to do with it. So here's Q1 2023. They made 8.3 billion dollars of total revenue. Uh, data center was 3.7, 3.8 of that. Gaming was roughly equal at 3.6 billion. And you've got visual, uh, you've got automotive and other kind of rounding out. But in total, uh, you've got gaming was 41, 45% of revenue. Excuse me, this is, this is data center was 45% of revenue. And you've got gaming at 44%. So those two are 90% of the business. That's really where you can focus in uh, for historical purposes. The other ones have to get much, much bigger before they're really driving the business. So data center is roughly flat, about 
billion dollars each quarter for a full year of 15 billion dollars. If I look at gaming, gaming was 3.6 and it dropped to 2, dropped to 1.5 and I'm going to hold it even to 1.57 uh, for the quarter. That's $8.8 billion of revenue for the year. And that's a, that's, that's a 50% reduction in the revenue within one year. Q1, it was $3.6 billion. Q4, we're saying $1.6 billion. That's having in value. And what does that look like on a run rate <clears throat> basis? What do I mean by run rate? A run rate basis is just taking a particular quarter and multiplying it by four to see what does that look like on an annual basis. Well, if I take the gaming revenue, 1.5, 1.6 billion of annual, excuse me, quarterly revenue, and I, and I annualize it, I get 6.2, 6.3 billion dollars. That's down again from what they're supposed to report here next quarter of, of 8.8 billion. So what this means is that this current financial year is going to be a down year for, for, for the company because they already have three quarters of declining revenue, but then next year, because this number is still declining and has $3.6 billion in Q1, it's lifting up the current fiscal year. As time moves forward, next year is going to be a little bit lower than the current year because this $1.5 billion that they're currently booking on a quarterly basis, you'll have four quarters of this rather than having the, the $3.6 billion in Q1 which is basically a top of the market before this whole collapse happened. They had one great quarter and it's been down from there and that, that, and that one quarter is lifting up the 2023 year. So I do expect 2024 year to be a little weaker than 2023. But these are the numbers I wanna run with. So I'll take 16 billion for the um, data center, 6.3 billion for gaming, and I'm gonna forecast that forward a total of next year revenue of $27 billion <clears throat> for 2023. I'm going to apply a 25% EBITDA margin to that. That's down from the 43% they peaked at. Let's just see. Yeah, 42% was the peak. If we look at this number, by the way, this 40, the, the, the EBITDA percentage, right? So the vast majority of this time frame, it's never been 42%. In fact, most of it's been around 30%, only spiking that one year, which makes me a little suspect about booking that much earnings. But nevertheless, 30% seems to be the target. So if 30% is the tar target, I'm going to start off with 25% EBITDA margin for next year because revenue's down, they haven't cut cost yet. As revenue resumes growth over time, and they kind of thin back margins, uh, cost a bit, they can get that margin back up to 30% my long-term target. So they're not going back to 42%. But here I'm saying $27 billion is next year's full, full year number, uh, with three quarters of that being actuals. I'm just estimating one quarter of this year. $27 billion at 25% EBITDA margin means $6.7 billion of EBITDA. Now, the following year, I think it's down again, 10%, 24 billion dollars of top line revenue. Why? Because now gaming has a full 12 months of this lower performance that I don't think they're going to come rocking back. The laptop sales, HP, Dell computers, those uh, those companies are seeing softer demand for, uh, for laptops and such processors inside those laptops. So I think they're going to come down. I think then they can resume growing and the, kind of the data center will pick up 
the other business lines will grow as well. And they'll go to 30 and resume kind of a conservative growth rate, 25, 20. And I'll bring it down over time to give me some kind of, um, uh, you know, adjustment for the unknown in the future. And I think if you look back at the last video where we did not have a down 10% decline, had I forecast 10% decline uh, a year ago, people would have thought I was nuts. There's nobody was, the, the, the stock was untouchable for people. Uh, but now we're adjusting to reality. So now I've cut that stock forecast back, basically taking their growth rate and shifting it out a couple years uh, so that in time, they'll eventually get to what we said they were last year, but it's been shifted out a couple years. Let's see what that does to value. So then out, out a decade, I've got $70 billion of top line revenue and a 30% EBITDA margin it gives me a $20 billion EBITDA forecast. If we look at what they produced last year, they produced $11 billion. So I'm saying they're going to double their profitability over the next year. So that's growth. That's saying you're going to grow in the future. The question is what multiple are going to sell at at that time and what is a reasonable number for the business. All right, here we go. Let's forecast this business. So EBITDA, 6.7, 6.8 billion next year. That includes the decline of the gaming business. That's what our estimate is. And then the following year, it's going to decline again, 5.3, because you get the full year effect of the lower gaming revenue. Then by 2025, we should be seeing better results as the economy kind of picks up and you get growth, margin growth, revenue growth, you get a nice pop in earning $7 billion. And then it goes out to 20 billion, like we said. I'm applying an 18 times market multiple to this. This is still down from the 54 that it's currently at because I fundamentally don't like paying that much for stock. It's my money. I'm gonna choose to buy things that I think are well-priced. And for me, a stock I have to wait 50 years to get payback on is not a well-priced stock, even if it's growing, like we just saw with the adjustment, you have no idea what this future is gonna be. This is literally a guess. I just put up some numbers, put some logic to it, but still a blind guess. So if I'm putting money against a guess, why should I compound that risk by saying this number needs to be 50 times? I'm gonna bring it down. 18 times 21 gives me a $378 billion enterprise value. Less debt plus cash give me $385 billion of market cap. Divide that by the 2.5 billion shares currently outstanding, and I get $152 as a stock price estimate for this stock out 10 years from now. If I do the same logic for free cash flow, here free cash flow, $2.21, that's my adjusted number, and I bring that down with the same growth curve I use for EBITDA, I get $6.86. I apply a market multiple to that, uh, excuse me, a, a market yield to that, a free cash flow yield of 4%. Again, we want things that are 6, 8, 10, but I'm, I'm giving a four, and that gives me a stock price of $171 per share out 10 years on a free cash flow method. Before we review the actual stocks in the EBITDA, I want to let everyone know I have a webinar coming up. If you're interested in what a cash flow club looks like that I host and run, where I talk about one pages or what my picks are for 2023, I have a webinar coming up at the end of January. I'll be online. Our analysts at the cash flow club will be online. We're going to review some of our top ideas for 2023. We're going to talk about the market. I'll give you a little bit more about my background and we'll have an open dialogue with some question and answer sections at the end. Check my website or the link down below, cashflowinvestingpro.com for the Cashflow webinar at the end of January. So behind me is the updated data for NVIDIA. You've got a current price target of $165 a share. I can buy as much stock as I want. I've got two different price estimates, $171 and $152 based on two different 
methods uh, of logic. I'm going to average that for 160 buck price target. Now, what do we know about the stock currently? Well, at the current stock price, the enterprise value of this business is 410 billion dollars. That's $165 per share times the shares outstanding plus the debt minus the cash gives me $410 billion of value. If I divide that by next year's EBITDA, which is lower, that means I'm at a 60 times market multiple forward earnings on my number. If I look backwards and say, what was the $11 billion of EBITDA they produced last year, divide by the current market, market price or enterprise value, I get a 36, 37 times market multiple. So the market multiple has come down on a historical basis from 55 to 36, but 36 is still much higher than I'm willing to pay for it based on our exit value of 18 times. So you're still going to have market multiple compression over time as this business growth stabilizes and people realize that maybe growth isn't going to grow at 20, 30% annually, that you're going to get four, five, 8% out of the company and the market multiple is going to fall. That falling in the market multiple is going to slow your stock price growth, even though earnings are growing. And then I've got some yield here data, but I think the biggest point here is that 60 times forward earnings. So when I look out in the future, people are saying, I'm still going to pay you a 60 years worth of earnings, knowing that earnings are going to decline. Let's put this in an IRR and see what it gets. So I buy the stock for $165 a share. I had this stream of cash flow. I sell it for roughly the same at 160 and I get a 2% IRR or 1.2 times my money. I'll put this in a distribution for you so you can see it over time. If you fast forward or you come back to this video in the, in, 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 in the future, price target 165. This forecast 2% uh, IRR. If, if you, the price increases, it's less. If it drops, I'm still not a fan of the stock unless it's sub 100. I mean, if you're buying it at 18 times, if you see me, if you're selling this business at 18 times, uh, let's see what 18 times forward earnings. I'll t pick up a, a couple years out just to be fair. If we think earnings EBITDA is going to be $7 million out year and I go 18 times that, that's only $126 billion of uh, enterprise value. Cash and debt are roughly equal, so that's also market cap. If I take this, divide by the shares outstanding, oops, if I take this and divide by the shares, if I take this and divide by the shares outstanding, I get a $50 stock price. So I think the downside potential for this stock could be $50. If it's $50, you're paying $160 for the share. Long term, we think it's roughly worth $160. So you're risking zero capital gain for a decline of almost 70%. Um, for me, that risk reward isn't there. There's lots of other stocks that, need, that don't need the growth curve to produce outsized returns. So for us, uh, let's review the five key, key factors. Number one, top line revenue growth. Uh, it's there, check the box. Number two, uh, EBITDA growth. Yeah, let's check the box, it's there. Number three, strong free cash flow. Yes, absolutely, it produces a lot of cash. Number four, low debt. Yeah, debt's zero, so it's no, low debt. Number five, well-priced. Is the stock well-priced? No, I do not think it is. I still think this stock is way overpriced. Earnings are coming down. It's trading at 60, 60 times forward lower earnings. The market is completely expecting this, this stock to revert higher. 
And I think that there could be a surprise to the downside if that doesn't happen. If this stock were to return to say a 20, 18, 20 times multiple, that means your stock's worth 50 bucks. And I'm not willing to trade the little bit of cash flow that it generates on a per share basis um, for the potential loss of that kind of that kind of money. So what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna give it a bad rating. Not because of the company itself or the people or the products. I think all the products are legendary. The people are phenomenal. The CEO is an amazing guy. I just think the stock is too expensive, period. So for me at the channel, we're gonna pass, we're gonna look at other free cash flowing items, we're gonna go buy those. Now, while I'm on the topic, I wanna stop and tell you a little bit about the cash flow club and what a one pager is. Now I produce a one pager. What is a one pager? It summarizes what I went through with you entirely in one page. You get 10 years of revenue and EBITDA, cash flow, debt, historical numbers. You get a 10 year forecast for EBITDA, for cash flow and EBITDA, market multiples, a write up chart, and I summarize the five key attributes for you right there. What I do with these is I print them out for the companies that I have always wanted to own. And I lay them on the side of my table. And I pick them up every six months and I look at it. Because what happens if the stock market moves up and down, you might not have time to do all the research, but you can quickly gauge the business. Is it growing revenue, earnings, strong free cash flow, low debt? Is it well-priced? No, but it could be well-priced in the future. And having this on hand is worth a lot. I will also say that we kick out about 10 to 15 of these stocks every single month. And over time, as you look at these, you're gonna build a wealth of knowledge, a perspective that's gonna show you what the landscape of investing looks like. And you're gonna be better armed to buy what you perceive is a good deal having looked at lots and lots of companies over time. You you'll be able to pick out the truly the best companies that you want to put your money uh, into. So I'd highly recommend signing up for the cash flow club. Uh, if you do so in January, I've got a webinar. You can see what the quarterly webinar looks like here at the end of the month. That's a $30 charge normally, but it comes free with the cash flow club. We're going to be picking our 2023 stocks. Take a look at the cash flow club. There are tremendous stocks in there that are, that are uh, have IRRs a lot higher than, than this one. Also, if you want a free one pager, click the link in the description below. I greatly appreciate that. Also, lastly, I do teach a course. If you're interested and you want to do the modeling yourself and have your own portfolio of stocks, you can do so. Take my course. Uh, lots and lots of people taking it and they really, really enjoy it. Um, this is Rational Investing. I want to thank you again for watching on YouTube, listening on the podcast. Feel free to email me if you have any questions or comments or throw a comment down below for the YouTube uh, viewers. Help me with the algorithm, throw a comment down below, tell me what stock I should do next. I'm happy to take recommendations. Um, if you read the comments in there, there's a lot of people posting some pretty amazing stocks uh, that I really, really like. And I, I don't have time to get all, to all of them, I apologize, but I do see the comments. I do read them and try to respond as timely as I can. Uh, again, I really appreciate it. Um, up is gonna pop a couple other uh, videos of discounted stocks that I, you might wanna take a look at. Feel free to take a look at those videos. My name is Cameron Stewart, CFA. Uh, the Rational Investing is the show. Greatly appreciate it. Have a great day and we'll see you next week. Bye-bye.